Oh no, guys. They're calling the same play again. And no, I'm not talking about the Vols. Remember that old phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Yeah, we'll talk about that today. Also, the Biden administration finally got their hands slapped because they got caught red-handed in violating the First Amendment. Oh, and, and did you hear uh, Mitt Romney retired? Locally, here in Knox County, a Knox County commissioner has put forth a resolution to protect the innocence of our children. What's that all about? We'll find out today. I'm Blake Watson, and this is We the Free. When I was a sophomore in high school, a new head coach was hired after the previous coach had retired after about 30 seasons. The prior coach didn't numerically have a successful career with more losses and, and losing seasons than wins and winning seasons. So as an underclassman, I was really excited and, and so were my peers about the future of the program. When the new coach was hired, we had a private team meeting as we were introduced to the new coach. And I'll never forget one thing he said that day. He said, no one here has seniority. Only the best players will play. The idea was that just because this is your, your last year or, or you've been on the team longer, that doesn't mean you're going to be a starter. We're not going to have a losing season because you're a 12th grader. No. Only the most talented and effective players will play. Now there's a lesson in just that part of the story alone. While we should obviously have enormous respect for our elderly and, and senior citizens, just because they have years and decades of experience in life and in politics doesn't mean they should still be responsible for our highest offices in the country. Let's play the players who are the most talented and effective so that we quit losing games. But again, that's not the point of this story. Because of that philosophy, several players in my sophomore class started playing that very season on varsity. And on top of that, our uh, entire offensive and defensive strategies were changed from the former. We changed the way we did things. Intense workout regimens were instituted uh, so, by the time we were seniors, we were a very successful team, a very effective team. The new head coach had established our new offense as what is generally called the, the triple option. That is, on the majority of plays, the quarterback has a few options of what he can do with the ball based on how he reads the defense. Now, you have to be a skilled, well-trained quarterback to pull this offense off. And, and we did. We had a great quarterback. Now, without getting too deep into sports language and, and all the play calling stuff, the majority of our plays were runs straight up the middle. Our offensive line was phenomenal, and uh, we would <laughs> punish and exhaust the, their defense by basically running the same play over and over and over again because it worked practically every time. You're probably familiar with that colloquial phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, as, as long as we were getting four or five or, or six yards of carry, 
we kept running the same play because it inevitably wore down our opponent and delivered us the victory. Now, there's something, something similar happening in our political scene. The calling of the same play, if you will. One cannot deny the fact that a worldwide virus, which shall not be named, helped deliver the Democrats and the liberals electoral victory in 2020. Why do I say that? Because a certain virus gave credence to a massive national push for voting by mail, among other reasons. And, and, and by that, I mean mail-in ballots. In several states, and, and mainly the blue ones, uh, residents across the Fruited Plains received ballots in their physical mailboxes, even without their request. Now, why do I mention that? Because up until 2020, a citizen of the United States voting by mail would request, request what was called an absentee ballot. Said person would also have to legally sign their name to an affidavit swearing that I, I am who I say I am, this is my vote, I, I can't be at my physical allotted voting location on the day of the election. And all of this was under penalty of perjury. <laughs> if you were lying, you, you would be breaking the law. So if you were going to be out of town on a business trip or overseas or if you were in active military, this is how you could participate in elections. But in 2020, under the guise of a certain virus, absentee ballots became mail-in ballots or mailed-out ballots. And such ballots were shipped out to Americans all over the country. So what's the problem with this? Well, mail-in ballot voting, the, the, the mail-in ballot voting process is the system of election that is most susceptible to fraud. Now that's, that's just simply a logical conclusion. The, the alternative is using the, the computerized system at a physical location with all the security, and, and although there's, there's many that believe in the, the, the conspiracies of uh, voting machine manipulation, but basically a, a simple logical conclusion is that ballots placed in people's mailboxes can be abused. However, outside of a simple logical conclusion, there were reports in 2020 of voters receiving numerous ballots for either former residents, like people who <laughs> lived in the house before them, or uh, deceased family members of theirs, which was all that was blamed on the uncleanliness of voter registration rolls, and voters receiving uh, multiple ballots in their name, voters receiving numerous ballots with their names spelled differently, and on and on. But Add to this the, the long practice from, from both Democrats and Republicans of ballot harvesting, which is somehow still legal in over 20 states. The ugly truth in this method is that some people just don't care about the election, or they'll take a quick buck in exchange for their ballot, but squads of people just go around picking these mailable ballots, picking up these mailable ballots, filling them out however they please. And the vote doesn't authentically represent the person, which should be a federal crime. I don't care who's doing it. Now, there is no question about if this happened, because it's been proven countless times in 2020 and in the past. But rather, the question is, 
to what extent this mail-in ballot system affected the results of the 2020 election. There have only been a few provable situations in which there's direct evidence as opposed to circumstantial evidence. Direct evidence is either something like you know physical evidence or a confession or a fingerprint, whereas circumstantial evidence is like the uh, connecting of dots that point to certain facts. So while there's a mountain, a mountain of circumstantial information that one could infer election fraud, there are only bits and pieces of direct evidence, you know, accounts from within the vote counting centers, pictures and security camera footage within those facilities, or, you know, box trucks unloading in the middle of the night or at ballot drop-offs. And if you really want to stretch into conspiracy, we can talk about Dinesh D'Souza's 2000 Mules. But allow me to simply focus on one set of data as circumstantial evidence, perhaps statistical evidence. In 2016, 128.8 million people voted in the general election. 128.8. 65.8 million voted for Clinton and 62.9 million voted for Trump. Remember, Clinton won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College, giving Trump the victory. But remember, those two numbers there, nearly 129 million people voted in 2016, and 63 million of those were for Donald Trump. In that election, Trump flipped six battleground states, six, which were critical to his victory. Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Florida. And in that race, he also won Georgia and Arizona. Four years later, in 2020, there were over 26.6 million more votes, more votes cast in the presidential election. So close to 27 million more votes than four years prior. And to add to that astonishment, President Trump received more votes than any incumbent president in history with 74.2 million votes. That's over 11 million more votes than he got in 2016. 11 million more. But the craziest part is that creepy Uncle Joe somehow got more votes than anyone that has ever run for president. Trump got more votes than Obama did. In, in both 2008 and 2012. But Biden somehow managed to garner the support of 81.2 million Americans? Were these people who just really loved Biden or they, they loved his policies or the decades of experience in Washington? Were they just votes against Trump and not necessarily for Biden? Well, that doesn't seem very plausible given the fact that Trump got 11 million more votes than he did in 2016. And I forgot to mention the fact that Obama, on his second election, received uh, less votes by four, four million. He got four million less votes in his second election. So just remember that day and think back with me to election night in 2020. The, the votes were rolling in, uh, states were being called, uh, a lot of them unofficially. Some of us were glued to the newscasts or online updates, and then something strange happened. 
in five states, the counting stopped. Time just stood still, and actually, the vote counting was announced to have been halted uh, until the next day. Now, this is really odd because I couldn't remember a time when something like this had ever happened. I mean, our top four most populous states, like where there would be the most voting, California, Texas, Florida, and New York, they all had their election results on election night, which is the way it's supposed to be legally, according to U.S. Code, Title II, Chapter 1, Section 7. That's been the law since 1934. But anyway, five states halted all of their counting overnight. And then the next day, all five of those states' electoral votes were awarded to Joe Biden. Listen to the states. Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. All states that Trump won in 2016. These are five swing states that determined the outcome of the 2020 election. 73 electoral votes. But I'm supposed to believe that Georgia can't total up their votes in one day when the state of Texas, home to 20 million more Americans than Georgia, can wrap everything up before midnight? Now, my theory then, and it's still my theory now, and it's, it's the conspiracy held by many, that there was enough ballot fraud in those five states to sway the results of the election. That's the only way people can make sense of the 81 million votes Biden received, the 27 million more votes than four years prior, the strange stopping of counting on election night in five states, which all co coincidentally went for Biden the next day when counting resumed. My point is, all of this is very likely plausible due to mail-in ballot fraudulence. And, and what was the reasoning? You remember what, what it was all for? What was the source of the, the prevalence of paper ballots in your mailbox? Public health, remember? We can't let grandma and grandpa go to the polls. They'll die. We need to keep people safe, so vote by mail. Here you go, here's a, here's a mail-in ballot so you don't catch the virus which shall not be named. And guess what? They're calling the same play again. And why not? It, it worked last time. They ran the ball right up the middle and scored the victory. So run the same play again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So right on time for the primary debates leading up to the primary elections and ultimately the general, it's back. The Rona is back. CBS News, COVID hospitalizations on the rise as U.S. enters Labor Day weekend. CNN Health, it may be time to break out the masks against COVID, some experts say. NBC Chicago, Illinois Health Department reports rising COVID activity detected in-state. LA Times, the pandemic isn't over. ABC News, school districts in Kentucky and Texas cancel classes amid surge of Ill illnesses including COVID. Headline, Lionsgate reinstates mask mandate in parts of Santa Monica office following COVID outbreak. Headline, Dillard University orders masking as COVID cases rise in Louisiana. CBS, Atlanta-based Morris Brown College says they are reinstating COVID mask mandates. Fox, citing rising COVID cases, 
these U.S. hospital systems have now reinstated mask mandates. Fox again. California high schools cancel football games after COVID outbreaks. On top of these headlines, the Daily Wire reports the following reactions. In Alabama, three court buildings in Dallas County have resurrected their mask mandate. In Maryland, an elementary school reinstated its face mask mandate after several students tested positive for COVID. Rosemary Hills Elementary School, just north of Washington, D.C., is requiring the third grade class and school staff to wear masks for 10 days after three or more third graders tested positive for the virus. Now, we're three years into this social exercise. Initially, we were told to trust the experts and the science, but as time has advanced, the so-called experts have turned out to be quacks, and the science has turned out to be fiction. And we're going to talk about this later in the program, but we can't forget that any objection to the expert analysis was met with suppression and persecution, whether that be doctors and scientists or just average citizens. The things and objections that these so-called experts labeled as, you know, conspiracy have largely turned out to be true. For example, the efficacy of masks. Two or three years ago, any logical person who wasn't thinking through the emotional fear porn and, and propaganda could easily conclude that the inefficiency of masks against this particular virus. Now, personally, I came up with a brilliant theory that surely will be utilized in scientific labs ac across the globe because, because of its genius, but it's known as the flatulence theory. Let's say you're sitting in a room with someone and one person slices the cheese. Now, your distance from said person only determines the delay of time after the crepitation has been secreted, but whether you're six feet or ten feet from the source, your, the flatuosity eventually reaches your nasal passage. But consider the passage of the passage of the gas. The odious wind has penetrated an average of two layers of clothing, a double masking, if you will, excreting into a repugnant cloud of hydrogen sulfide and ultimately attaching itself to your olfactory nerve. Now, feel free to cite my flatulence theory if you like. It's, it's making a lot of noise in the science community. But the theory demonstrates the inefficacy of masking and social distancing. Trust me, I've conducted many tests in the last few years. However, others have drawn similar conclusions, including, surprisingly, Michael Smirconish from CNN. Here he is questioning Dr. Anthony Fauci on this very thing. There is a perception out there by many, how many I don't know, that they don't work and that the data concludes that they didn't work in the first go round. Respond to that on masks. Yeah, well, that's not so. I mean, when you're talking about at the population level, that the data are less strong than knowing that if you look on a situation as an individual protecting themselves or protecting them from spreading it, there's no doubt that masks work. Different studies give different percentages of advantage of wearing it, but there's no doubt that the weight of the studies, and there have been many studies, indicate the benefit of wearing masks. 
I'm going to refer to one of them. You've heard about it before. I heard about it from a number of radio callers. Uh, Brett Stevens in The Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference he told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on. What about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality? Surgical or cloth masks makes no difference. None of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. But when you talk about as an individual basis of someone protecting themselves or protecting themselves from spreading it to others, there's no doubt that there are many studies that show that there is an advantage. When you took at the broad population level, like the Cochrane study, the data are less firm with regard to the effect on the overall pandemic. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about an individual's effect on their own safety. That's a bit different than the broad population level. No, there's no difference. It, it doesn't matter if you're referring to studies of the efficacy of masks on an individual level or a societal level, because individuals make up society. <laughs> what is interesting, though, is to see a journalist on CNN questioning the great Dr. Fauci, who was the tip of Trump's medical spear in 2020. But I give you all of these news stories and headlines to demonstrate the calling of the same play again. They want to run the ball up the middle again, that they want to use the virus as a way to push and promote the easiest voting process to manipulate. So. Are we going to use our same defensive strategy of compliance or are we going to blitz the middle, knock the ball loose and score a defensive victory? And by that, I'm, I'm describing what the election strategy should be for the average voter. It's one thing for a politician or a state official to have the authority to prevent said processes. But what can the normal person do? What can we do to win? Well, beyond petitioning your local representatives, I think the answer lies in what happened on election night in 2020. Remember, Donald Trump gained more incumbent votes than any president in American history. He got 11 million more votes than he did in 2016. That must have been really surprising to the liberals uh, given the fact that they, they berated the man for five years, they assassinated the character of, of the man before and, and during his time in office, and they likened him to Hitler, the fascistic, genocidal dictator, a, a million or so times. So it, it must have been much of a surprise that their standard forms of, of cheating wouldn't suffice. So they had to put the brakes on accumulate the, the necessary ballots that they didn't account for, and, and the, the rest is history. 
the answer there and the strategy for us in 2024 is to show up. Show up in mass. We, we need more people to vote than ever before because they won't be able to inflate the numbers. It won't make statistical sense. So put your game face on, get your teammates ready, and let's defend true American democracy. Now let's get to the national news feed. Getting quality, good-priced meat products is proving to be increasingly difficult these days. With Bidenflation, the prices of everything in store is, is just going through the roof. When you make fuel more expensive, that costs the farmer more, it costs the shipper more, it costs the grocer more, and it costs you more. That's why you need to check out Good Ranchers. They'll ship directly to your house their 100% American beef, chicken, seafood, and pork all sourced from independent farms in the United States. Check the link in my show notes and use the code RANCHER10 for 10% off. That's the number 10 off their best-selling Ranchers Classic Box. Speaking of COVID, probably the most important national news comes to us from just the news. The headline tells us, Appeals Court upholds decision barring Biden admin from colluding with big tech to censor. The article reads, The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday upheld a low court decision in Missouri versus Biden barring the federal government from working with social media companies to remove First Amendment protected content. Now, this would include federal agencies like the FBI and the CDC, the White House, the Surgeon General. Uh, so, so this includes uh, White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Um, just the news reports from the court decision, which says, Defendants and their employees and agents shall take no actions, formal or informal, directly or indirectly, to coerce or significantly encourage social media companies to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce, including through altering their algorithms, posted social media content containing protected free speech. That includes, but is not limited to, compelling the platforms to act, such as by intimating that some form of punishment will follow a failure to comply with any requests, or supervising, directing, or otherwise meaningfully controlling the social media company's decision-making process. Long story short, the White House and these other agencies like the FBI and the CDC were working directly with social media companies like Meta or Facebook to suppress content or punish accounts which published content that disagreed with the Biden administration's positions on COVID vaccines and other things. The initial injunction was filed in July with the listed plaintiffs being the state of Missouri, the state of Louisiana, and, and there were five individuals, which we'll talk about later. And then there was a, a list of defendants that was a mile long, like it took up the whole bottom of the page. Among the 40 individuals listed there are President Joe Biden, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, 
Director of Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security, Jen Easterly. Robert Silvers, he's also from Homeland Security. Uh, White House Digital Director, Rob Flaherty, he's gone now, but there was also FBI agent Elvis Chan, and there were 13 government agencies in total listed. In other words, there was a whole slew of Biden cronies uh, that were working fist and glove with social media companies to censor free speech, a direct violation of the First Amendment to the Constitution. It goes without saying, but the First Amendment specifically reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and here we go, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, these fundamental liberties are summarized as the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom to petition. Now, this wasn't simply the, you know, the slapping of the informative fact-checking disinformation labels on every post that disagreed with the regime. You probably saw those all over the place. This also had to do with having these platforms suppress or throttle content that they deemed misinformation, otherwise known as information they disagree with. That means that conservative media figures, prominent Christian leaders, and, and conservative media outlets were shadow banned and suppressed, while legacy media outlets and prominent journalists and talking heads were promoted. So while it's not specifically Congress making a law against free speech, as the amendment specifically mentions, it is the federal government preventing Americans from speaking in the digital public square. The initial filing read, the principal function of free speech under the, under the United States system of government is to invite dispute. It may indeed serve its high purpose when it induces a condition of unrest, creates dissatisfaction with conditions as they are, or even stirs people to anger. Freedom of speech and press is the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom. It even quotes a few of our founding fathers like George Washington saying, the freedom of speech may be taken away and dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Benjamin Franklin is quoted saying, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the free acts of speech. Thomas Jefferson is quoted in the filing as saying, reason and inquiry are the only effectual agents against error. Now, I love what the Attorney General from Missouri said, Andrew Bailey, said, the First Amendment remains intact. The first brick was laid in the wall of separation between tech and state on July 4th, and this ruling is yet another brick. Missouri will continue to lead the way in the fight uh, to defend our most fundamental freedoms, but we're not done yet. We're just getting started. So he's referring to the preliminary injunction on July 4th, which immediately barred all of these defendants from colluding with and working together with these social media and, and tech companies. But then the decision became official on September 8th when the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals partially upheld the decision, specifically preventing Joe Biden, 
the Surgeon General, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and the Department of Health and Human Services, and also Anthony Fauci, from further cooperation with these companies. This federal court consisted of three uh, of a three-judge panel, so they affirmed parts of the injunction, they reversed parts of it, they vacated parts of it, and they modified other parts. But here's what the court said. For the past few years, at least since the 2020 presidential transition, a group of federal officials has been in regular contact with nearly every major American social media company about the spread of misinformation on their platforms. In their concern, those officials, hailing from the White House, the CDC, the FBI, and a few other agencies, urged the platforms to remove disfavored content and accounts from their sites. And the platforms seemingly complied. They gave the officials access to an expedited reporting system. They downgraded or removed flag posts and deplatformed users. The platforms also changed their internal policies to capture more flagged content and sent steady reports on their moderation activities to the officials. That went on through the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2022 congressional election, and continues to this day. This day means September 8th, 13 days ago. The court says, The plaintiffs, three doctors, a news website, which is the Daily Wire, a, a healthcare activist, and two states had posts and stories removed or downgraded by the platforms. Their content touched on a host of, of divisive topics like the COVID-19 lab leak theory, pandemic lockdowns, vaccine side effects, election fraud, and the Hunter Biden laptop story. The plaintiffs maintained that although the platforms stifled their speech, the government officials were the ones pulling the strings. They coerced, threatened, and pressured the social media platforms to censor them through private communications and legal threats. Next, they mentioned that officials began communicating with social media companies, including Facebook, Twitter, now known as X, YouTube, and Google in early 2021. From the outset, that came with requests to take down flagged content. Now, this ruling goes on to detail specific actions and emails and messages between the two parties. Now, in the initial lawsuit, the states of Louisiana and Missouri said, this was the most egregious violations of the First Amendment in the history of the United States of America. What do you think about that? Let me know what you think in the comment section. But if we agree with our founding fathers that God has granted every human being certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, and liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we agree with Judge Dowdy that freedom of speech and freedom of, of the press is the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom, then we must fight for and defend this fundamental freedom. That means that if we can't speak, we can't defend our other natural rights, our God-given rights and, and our civil rights. We can't defend life. We can't defend freedom. We can't defend the institutions of the Lord, the, the, the family, the church, marriage, etc. And so, speak we must, but of course, in love. In other news, a rhinoceros has left the building. 
I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term, I'd be in my mid-80s. Frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders. They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. Now, we face critical challenges, mounting national debt, climate change, and the ambitious authoritarians of Russia and China. Neither President Biden nor former President Trump are leading their party to confront those issues. On deficits and debt, both men refuse to address entitlements, even though they know that this represents two-thirds of federal spending. Donald Trump calls global warming a hoax, and President Biden offers feel-good solutions that make no difference to the global climate. On China, President Biden underinvests in the military, and President Trump underinvests in our alliances. Political motivations too often impede the solutions that these challenges demand. The next generation of leaders must take America to the next stage of global leadership. While I'm not running for re-election, I'm not retiring from the fight. I'll be your United States Senator until January of 2025. I will keep working on these and other issues, and I'll advance our state's numerous priorities. I look forward to working with you and with folks across our state and nation in that endeavor. It really is a profound honor to serve Utah and the country. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. And there you have it. Mitt Romney is finally exiting the building, but not without harsh words for both of the leading party figures. That video was posted for Utahns, Romney's uh, constituents, but he hasn't always been in Utah as their senator. He has since about 2019, but he was born in Michigan in 1947. He's a lifelong Mormon, which is the primary reason for his time in Utah. He graduated from uh, Brigham Young in 1971 and got a degree from Harvard in 1975. He found a job in Boston, but eventually becomes the Republican nominee to run against Ted Kennedy for Senate in 1994, which he lost. He was elected governor of Massachusetts in 2002. He ran for president in 2008 and uh, lost the primary nomination to John McCain. Then he ran again in 2012, but lost that election, giving us all four more years of President Obama. His voting record has been atrocious, especially in regard to liberty. The Heritage Foundation gives politicians a score and a rating on how they've voted in Congress, and Romney's lifetime score is a 58. Like, out of 100, <laughs> 100 being the ultimate freedom-loving, liberty-voting American, Romney has a 58. Um, just a few examples. In, in 2016, uh, he chose not to support Trump in the general election. He did the same thing in 2020, so he never voted for Donald Trump. That year, he uh, voted for the $1.4 trillion omnibus bill and another $900 billion for COVID relief. In 2021, he voted for the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Now, all of these massive legislative creations of pretend dollars are crippling the economy right now and for future generations. And I forgot to mention it in, in 2020, uh, Romney marched with BLM protesters after the overdose of George Floyd. 
In 2021, he also voted to confirm Alejandro Mayorkas to lead DHS, who we talked about earlier. In 2022, Romney voted for the Respect for Marriage Act, which was an oxymoron, and it created national policy in favor of same-sex marriage. Uh, he voted to confirm woke Supreme Court Justice Katanji Jackson. This was the, uh, the woman who couldn't define what a woman was when pressed by Marsha Blackburn. And surprisingly, uh, Romney had this to say about Biden's impeachment. The grave question the Constitution tasks senators to answer is whether the president committed an act so extreme and egregious that it rises to the level of a high crime and misdemeanor. Yes, he did. The president asked a foreign government to investigate his political rival. The president withheld vital military funds from that government to press it to do so. The president delayed funds for an American ally at war with Russian invaders. The president's purpose was personal and political. Accordingly, the president is guilty of an appalling abuse of public trust. What he did was not perfect. No, it was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security, and our fundamental values. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. Oh, uh, hang on a second. That, that was actually the, the wrong clip. That's, that's what Romney said when he was the only Republican, again, the only Republican, voting to convict Trump of the impeachment charges in 2020. I'm sorry. Um, but we also can't forget that he voted to impeach him again in 2021. Uh, but this is what he had to say when he was asked about Biden's impeachment inquiry. Uh, you know, I know the House is beginning an impeachment inquiry. Um, I haven't heard any allegation of something that would rise to the level of a high crime or misdemeanor. I think it'd be very unusual to actually see a referral of impeachment. I, I don't expect that to happen. Uh, they can inquire uh, and see if there's evidence that, that, that shows something else. I don't think they'll find that. I don't know. But there's been no allegation of that. And any, any uh, uh, hint of that has been denied by the president. So I, I'm not expecting that to occur. You see, I don't believe in this cultural and, and political day and age that there is any such thing as centrism or to be moderate on the issues we've covered. You're either conservative or you're liberal. There's no middle ground there. And, and we're either trying to safeguard the sacred or we're trying to forsake and destroy them. So when we label someone a rhino or a Republican in name only, Romney has been the perfect embodiment of that. The charges which he chose to convict Trump on are the exact same things that Biden is guilty of, yet Romney sees no issues this time around. But when you add to this double standard of justice the support for radical spending, racial wokeness, and attacks on marriage, I say this with the most respect that I can muster to Mr. Romney, good riddance, and you will not be missed. Now, let's get to the local news feed. <music> Ad
As a Christian, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything good about swearing allegiance to the American flag. Why is that? Because of the virtues of which the flag flies. It speaks to our providential founding and has been for nearly 200 years a symbol of freedom to those who seek it. You can fly the American flag with, with pride from your front porch or out in the front yard. You can even hang one on the wall in the house or the garage, the office, or wherever you wish. I recommend getting a flag that will last and withstand the weather throughout the seasonal changes of the year. So check out the flag supplies at Allegiance Flags. Check the link in the show notes or go over to wethefreeshow.com for more military and first responders get 10% off your order. Allie Feinberg at the Knoxville News Sentinel is reporting on a resolution that was advanced in the Knox County Commission. Now, we're going to look at the report from the Sentinel in just a minute, but it's important we start with the text of the resolution. A resolution in this context is a formal expression of opinion or intent voted by an official body or assembled group, in this case, the, the Knox County Board of Commissioners. There are 11 commissioners in Knox County, each representing a different area of the county. Rhonda Lee, the commissioner who has put forth this resolution, she represents District 7, which is basically Powell, Halls, and High School. Here's the text of the resolution. Whereas the future of Knox County, Tennessee, relies on the health and well-being of its children and young people, and whereas children are our greatest treasure and our most vulnerable population, we must always weigh the risk of harm to children in public policy decisions. And whereas we value integrity and excellence and will not trade the innocence of our children for other governmental goals, and whereas protecting the innocence of children should be an issue of concern for all adults, and whereas adults and children are increasingly over-sexualized in our nation, state, and county, and whereas according to a recent Tennessee Department of Health report titled Sexual Violence, there were over 1,798 counts of sexual assault victims in Knox County from 2016 to 2020, with 944 of those cases, which is over half, being under the age of 18. And whereas, according to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, the average age of a child sold for sex is 13 years old, and human trafficking is the second fastest growing criminal industry, and whereas the exposure to and normalization of sexualized behaviors reduces children's inhibitions, and ability to protect themselves from the sexual advances of others, and whereas children learn from observing and subsequently acting out the behaviors they have observed, children who have, who have observed sexualized behaviors or who have been the victim of sexual assault may act out with other children at home or school, which may lead to additional child victims, and Whereas the normalization of sexualized behaviors and content to children is not in the long-term interest of children or society, wholesome, good, and honorable content and activities should be promoted to children instead. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Commission of Knox County as follows. The Knox County Board of Commissioners is committed to protecting the innocence of children and to cultivating healthy children, families, communities, 
and institutions. Be it further resolved, the Knox County Commission neither supports nor approves of activities, programs, events, content, or institutions which support, normalize, or encourage the sexualization of children and youth. Be it further resolved, the board encourages individuals and communities to promote the good and the honorable to children rather than the normalization of sexual behaviors, protecting the health and well-being of our children and the future of our, of our county. Be it further resolved that if any notifications are to be made to effectuate this resolution, then the county clerk is hereby requested to forward a copy of this resolution to the proper authority. Be it further resolved that this resolution is to take effect from and after its passage and provided by the Charter of Knox County, Tennessee, the public welfare requiring it. So it should be pretty obvious what this resolution is about. In case you haven't been paying any attention in this country, like an ostrich with its head buried in the sand, uh, you surely recognize the particular sexualization of minors and children has dramatically spiked in the onslaught of the transgender ideology, whether that be transvestitism or transsexualism. Rhonda Lee from District 7 is declaring that the county will stand against this evil, which is amazing to hear, but this is just a resolution. Now, let's see what Allie reported. Lee said the purpose of the resolution is for the body to make a statement, not to dictate what residents can and can't do. It doesn't do anything to change the crime, Lee said. The article also says, while it does list statistics about sexual assault and human trafficking, it doesn't explicitly say what sexualized behaviors Lee is referring to. Well, we obviously know what it's referring to, and it's, it's not just one thing. We're also seeing a rise in pedophilia and a push for the normalization of such, like calling pedophiles minor attracted person. It's talking about drag queen story hours. It's talking about... Uh, children's exposure to, to pride events. It's talking about the, the medical malpractice of transgender uh, clinicians and, and puberty manipulation, mutilization and, and castration. It's talking about classroom content and what teachers can say and do. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to put that together. To sexualize is to make something sexual that isn't. Children, the innocent, are not to be treated as sexual objects. That is disgusting and evil, which should be offensively prevented and defeated. I'm, I'm, I'm saying preemptively instead of reactionary. But the article goes on. Commissioner Larson J. questioned Lee's intent and whether the resolution was a precursor to restricting library programs or dictating what the county health department can and can't do. Lee said that was not her intention. The only vote against the resolution was from Courtney Durrett, who said she obviously was against the sexualization of children, but was concerned the resolution was a gateway to other policies. What does that even mean? I don't think Courtney knows what's even going on. Uh, maybe she'll see this segment and find out. And by the way, she represents the, the Fountain City area. Now, the, the article concludes by saying the commission will meet again on September 25th, that's this coming Monday, to vote on the resolution. So if you don't live in the Halls-Powell area where uh, Rhonda Lee's district is, call or email your commissioner today, today, 
and tell them to pass this resolution. Go to commission.knoxcountytn.gov commission.knoxcountytn.gov to see your list of commissioners because we should indeed protect our county's children. Now, one more thing before we go. Uh, I, I have a, a friend, his name is Matt. Um, he's, uh, he's a co-worker of mine as well. Um, he, uh, he's a big fan of, of the band Colony House. Now, um, for those of you that have been paying attention to um, my show or the announcement of my show since uh, last November, uh, the initial commercial that I put out for We The Free featured a song by the band Colony House, and, and the song is called 220. It's awesome. <laughs> it's why I used the song. Um, but anyways, Matt is a, is a fellow uh, appreciator or lover of the band Colony House, and um, we found out uh, months ago that Colony House was going to be coming to Knoxville this month. Um, <laughs> and... He has another friend who is like a super fan of Colony House, and his friend had informed him that Colony House on this tour that they're doing is <laughs> inviting people up on stage to play the song 220. That's the song that I used in the commercial. And uh, Matt is a, he's, he's a very good mu musician, um, and he plays the, gu the guitar among other instruments. And he's, he's, he practically has been telling me for months, like, maybe I, I can be the guy at the Knoxville show to, to go do that. Well, <laughs> he goes to the concert with his, with his newlywed wife and, uh, and, some, and some friends, and, and this is what happened. So that was that was Matt on the stage playing that that song 220. Um, so I just want to say congratulations, buddy, and that was awesome. It rocked. But that is going to do it for me today. What'll it be next time? We'll see. For now, go and be the salt and light you were meant to be, and we'll see you next time on We the Free.